What's up, world? You are listening to the After Dinner Mint Show with Gracie Autumn. I'm a DJ, blogger, coffee-drinking Marvel lover. My show is about life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I mostly focus on the good things. On today's show, I'm joined by art expert and world traveler, Mary Manfredi. On the show, we talk about the importance of studying art history and visiting museums. We also discuss her love for margaritas. And with that, here's today's show. And welcome back, everyone. You are listening to the After Dinner Mint Show with Gracie Autumn. And I really wanted to get artsy with this episode. And so I was like, I want to talk all about art history. And I knew I couldn't do it alone because I have only taken one art history class in college. So, you know, when I was in college, I'm like, yes, I am the the total expert on art history now because I took one class on it. But now I'm realizing I'm like, I literally like just got the foundation of it. Like I could not do this on my own. And so I am thrilled to have an art historian on the podcast today. I am so excited. She has traveled around the world, you know, to see some of the greatest pieces of art that we have on this planet. Um, she actually started a gorgeous website called Mary's Musings, um, where she talks about art history and, you know, different pieces of art she has seen. Absolutely gorgeous. We'll talk more about it so you can find it. Please welcome Mary. Hello, hello. Hey, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. And I forgot to say this, but Mary is also my cousin. So I did have a family connection, you know, with getting you on the show. Yes, which, you know, if you got it, use it. That's exactly, you know, I kind of put you in an awkward situation. You know, I really pushed them like, we're family, you know, you can't leave family behind you, you know, family's first, you got to be on my show. Yes, well, Um, I'm so happy to be here. This is great. Um, So congrats again on graduating with your master's is always very exciting. Thank you. Yes, thank you. That means a lot. Oh, yeah, I hope you definitely like use that title a lot. Oh, you mean Master Mary? Exactly. Master, Master, Master Mary Manfredi. It, it's that like rolls so right funny. off the tongue. <laughs> you got to get it changed on your license, you know? Like I should. I really I really should. I'm going to look into that after the episode. That I know. Yeah, and like all your mail it should be addressed to Master Mary Manfredi. Yes, with the alliteration too now it's just M A M A M A. So so many masters. Um So before we get right into this interview, I really want to get started because I'm just so excited to hear your answers for all these questions. Um, But I want to start with an icebreaker question because this way I get to learn a fun fact about you. The listeners get to learn a fun fact. So Mary, you are, we're going to set the scene here. You are in Florence, Italy. Um what how would you spend the afternoon like what is the perfect afternoon in Florence well the perfect afternoon for me in Florence is Florence is such a center of art and culture so unfortunately I don't really think I'd be outdoors that much I'd probably be indoors in a museum mm-hmm. or in a church so the ideal one for me is the Uffizi because they have so so 
so many glorious pieces of art. And my favorite room in the Ufis that I spent about 25 minutes in, and I think that's being generous, I think I spent a little bit more than that, uh, is the Botticelli room, just because it has these pieces by Sandro Botticelli that you really see when you, and when you're looking at art history, the canon. And this is the room that you see those pictures of, like in the books, like, you know, Birth of Venus oh and the Annunciation. So it's just like the, the highlights of his body of work. And it's just so amazing to be able to stand there in person and see it. So after you do all that walking in the gallery and, you know, looking at all the very nice paintings, I would recommend then popping outside, having a nice dinner of pasta, of course, or you could do the Florentine steak. That's a really popular dish there as well. Ooh. And obviously finish up the day with a cup of gelato. Can't beat that. Exactly. <laughs> you know, maybe two. Maybe three. Let's be Ex real. Well, yeah, let's be serious here. You're like, <laughs> I'm already, yeah, eating pasta and all that, that glorious food. Um, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm secretly just like Italian the way I eat like pizza and pasta. Like, Well, that's fine. And, you know, I, during the quarantine, I've actually been taking some Italian classes and my vocabulary solely consists of basically gelato flavors, which I'm fine with too. And like that's other food. Yeah. So it's the basic necessities. So I, I can get my way by if I go back. <laughs> no, I. that's like... I hate when people ask the question like pasta or pizza. I'm like, obviously both. both. Like <laughs> both. You start with the pizza and then you get pasta. Like Oh, it's it's also good when you go out with someone too, because then they can each order a dish. You can take yes. around the table as well too. Oh yeah. Um when I when I studied um abroad in Gom in Austria in college, I always um, when we traveled to Italy one of the weekends, I always made sure that I like traveled with people who didn't really drink wine because like we would get a bottle of wine for the table and then like they would have a little, but then they would be like, who's going to finish this? And I'm like, I will. Like, <laughs> if you need me, call me. I'm, I'm here. Like, no, I always tried to find the people who like wouldn't eat all the food on their plates or like couldn't finish that glass of wine. I'm like, I am here. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a good time. Back when we could travel. Yes. I miss it so much. Ugh. But we are, we're going to kickstart this interview. I'm so excited. Um, but Mary, I would love for you to tell the listeners more about yourself. So just a little background. You're like, where are you? went to college, like what you studied, where you've traveled, all that good stuff. So I basically did my undergrad and graduate education in Pennsylvania. I always knew I wanted to go to school around Philly. So I made my mission, mission accomplished. So I went to Rosemont College and I got a BA in history and a minors in art history and education. And I kind of knew in my senior year what I wanted to do, which was work in a cultural institution, either like a historic site or a museum. So I decided to get my master's in public history at Villanova, which is conveniently located right across the, like down the street. So it was really wasn't much of a change of scenery for me. Uh, and it was really, really just a really, um, it cemented that I wanted to work in that field because I went to a lot of these 
museums on my own time. I got a few internships out of it as well. And I made my focus on American material and visual culture. So that means that I like objects and I, that can be a historic artifact or a painting, a monument, stuff along those lines. And I like researching them, uh, digesting their materiality, looking into their backstories, their provenance. So it's just, for me, it's been very interesting to see where my research interests take, take me down that road. I've looked into artists that are from New Jersey, um, more that are locally based, but also nationally based too. So it, it's been very, very interesting, very fulfilling. And it's trying to always digest more and see what new avenues I can take with it too. Absolutely. Um, and I know, like, how did you get interested in art history? Um, I know you kind of mentioned this in the first question, but I'd love to delve deeper into it. Cause I know for years and years you have always had a love for history in particular American history um I was always super jealous of your American Girl Doll collection growing up I was like oh man she has all the the good ones um but when like did you really start falling in love with art uh I really think for me, it was, well, my mom, my mom was a major reason why. My mom has a really solid background in art, in the visual arts. And she tried when I was younger, when I was in that American Girl doll phase to, she bought me like these impressionist cards and they had all the info about the different impressionist artists. And I I just didn't bite. I was like, yeah, I don't really want this next. And uh, (laughs) so then I get to college and she tells me, to look into an art history course because I had a certain scholarship at Rosemont where I could take more courses and I really needed to in a given semester. And I kind of was already done with the history at that point, my junior year, with, with the exception of senior seminar. So I said, okay, I'll take an art history course. Yeah, nothing about it. And I completely did a deep dive. Like I fell in love. The next semester I took like four classes, just all art history based. And I was just gobbling everything up that I could. I really, at first it became like, okay, I like this object and the history surrounding it. But then I remember that I I wanted, I would go out of my way to go to specific museum exhibits. And I remember my first art-based museum exhibit that I traveled to was the end of my junior year. I went up to Boston to see a Botticelli exhibit that was in Mm. the MFA. And I just got bit by the bug and I just going, going and going and trying to see as much as I could. And I, if you honestly, had I not taken that art history course my junior year, I don't think I would have gone to Italy by the end of my senior year, because that was really why I went, because I wanted to see the Renaissance art that I had studied over the course of those two years. Absolutely. Like it's, it's not the same, just learning about it. Like it's so cool getting the history and the background of these pieces, but you really can't grasp it until you actually see it before your eyes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I know like you worked on some really fascinating art history projects while you were in school. Um, I'd love for you to share about some of these, these projects you did. Absolutely. Um, so one of the major ones I did probably was my public history internship because I worked with Rosemont, my undergrad, but I came back as a graduate student intern. And essentially Rosemont is preparing for their centennial which is coming up in 2021. 
So they wanted to take stock of their art collection and kind of see what the state of certain pieces were and also just to see essentially what they have, just make sure they still had pieces that they have on this 29 piece inventory that I was given at the initial uh, start of this internship. So essentially what happened was I go through it, I'm working on this from let's say September 2019 until May 2020. And I essentially photographed, inventoried and researched over 155 pieces. So yeah, and I was crazy. It was was fun, but it was crazy at the same time because I found myself like opening up closets. I, I would remember being a student like, okay, I saw a piece of art down this hallway and it just was a lot of back and forth. And then they also moved stuff on me in the two years since I graduated. So I was like, you know, talking to people, sending emails, almost like a little detective work too. Yeah, just I was to about to fun. say like Sherlock, you're like the Sherlock of art. <laughs> yes, with a more colorful uh, coat too and magnifying glass. But uh, yeah, it was, it was really like, when I had to talk about this with my professor, I essentially said that this project was very special to me for me because I got to go back and I knew essentially all the professors were still there, all the president, President Hirsch was still there and she actually was an art historian herself. So she had a lot of art in her office too. So I feel like I was able to get in, photograph these pieces because I knew my way around and also because people knew me and were very generous with the information they shared with me too. That is so fascinating. Like. It's funny, it's like putting a puzzle together. You know, you think like, oh, I can just go to like one book or go online to get all the information I need. But it's literally like, you have to be like, well, this person, you know, knows a fact, so like I need to see them. And then, you know, they'll give you, you know, more information and resources to get. So like, just for one piece, it's fascinating to see all the different, you know, parts you need to put together to to get the full image. Absolutely. And it just, and it actually made me look at these pieces that I had passed by and I I didn't really give them a second glance. Like we had these two portraits of Mr. and Mrs. McShane that are hanging in the McShane auditorium. And I never thought anything of them because they're just always there when you're going to your science classes or I worked in a, as a tutor downstairs, funny enough. And I got, I really looked at them. Like I stopped and I looked at them and I, I zoomed in on the photos and I noticed that he was holding blueprints in one of, in his portrait. Mm. And I found out through research that he actually designed a lot of the public buildings in Washington, DC. So the blueprints that he was holding, it's the image of the Jefferson Memorial, which he essentially, his, his construction company did it. So it just was so just, very meaningful too for me and as an alum because also I found out that the artists who executed these two this pair of portraits they also um the artist did a general Patton's portrait and that's hanging in the National Portrait Gallery in Washington DC so it's just surreal just just yeah just just to situate those portraits in line with that other artist's body of work so it's a Polish artist I'm not going to try to pronounce the name right yeah (laughs) lots of letters yeah yeah so um, it, it was very uh, meaningful in that sense, too. Yeah. Um, and I know you, you kind of tapped into this earlier in the interview, but like, what role do you think art plays in history and why is it so important to study art history? Art gives a visual component 
to the history that you could be researching. So for example, one of the paintings that I, I spent a great deal of time on, it was actually my central piece for my material culture course in graduate school is this painting of the Battle of Monmouth, which you know me, I'm a huge history buff. My favorite area is the Revolutionary War. And this piece shows Washington at a not so great moment for him. It, would, it wouldn't be on his highlight reel. It's when he allegedly uttered an oath during the battle because the, the troops are retreating from the British and he's very mad because, you know, his soldiers shouldn't be retreating, you know, from the up and coming Continental Army. So he races down. You can see Lafayette and Hamilton actually in the piece at his coattails racing down to scold Charles Lee, who was leading his men away. So yes, you can look at the, the facts of what happened that day at the Battle of Monmouth. You can see the casualties, you can see the key actors, Molly Pitcher, who's not in the painting, but anywho. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can look at all these facts, but when I think of the Battle of Monmouth, one of the visual aids that comes into my mind is that painting because these pieces can act as visual educational tools that you can use to talk about specific historical events. Yeah, it's it's so like fascinating to think, you know, like for us when we want to capture a moment a moment or have like a memory forever, you know, we like take a picture and it's so easy or like have someone take our picture um or we do a selfie, but like back then if you wanted something to be remembered or like to be remembered, it was like you would hire a painter. You know, like <laughs> it's it's so interesting like for them like that was their camera was was a painter. Yes, and that's why actually in the 1800, early 1800s to mid 1800s, you see this proliferation of Washington images entering these working class and middle class homes. And these aren't necessarily like paintings, they're mainly prints or um, affordable busts or other images of him that enter their home because they wanted a way to instill the values and the beliefs that Washington stood for into their home, into their domestic domain. So the power of images, I, that's, that's one of the reasons why I really am so interested in art history. Absolutely. It, it's just fantastic to study. And I hope I get another chance to really study more. Like, as I mentioned, I'm like, I took one course and it's like, that was just the tip of the iceberg. You know, like you can take classes and like courses just on Michelangelo's work, you know, it's, yes. there's so much of it. And it's just like, you know, just pick one aspect and go, like you got to start somewhere. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm taking one right now, funny enough. I'm doing, it's through the Barnes Foundation. It's called Decadence Through the Ages. So they started off with ancient Egypt and they showed their lavish lifestyle through their tomb paintings, through the hieroglyphics. And then we, last week we just did ancient Rome. So that was mainly focused on, funny enough, Pompeii. And they showed some of the paintings and the villas there and how they lived their lives. And with the Roman triumph, and they talked about the, the erection of the Colosseum, and then I, I believe this week is on medieval history, so I'll see. I haven't done the readings Ooh. yet, but uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I'm very excited for that. That's really cool, and like, it's so cool, especially during this time in COVID, like, there's still ways we can, you know, learn about history and still, like, virtually tour museums, and like, it's definitely not the same, and it'll be great to get back to these places in person, but like, it's still nice, like, 
there's still so many options to learn and it's so accessible. I would even say too, I feel like it's more accessible now because if a lot of the hashtags that these institutions are using is hashtag museum from home mm. and they offer a lot of free lectures, free zoom calls, free uh, tours. Though so I've, I've taken advantage of that. And then some, Ooh. like I, I did one uh, through the Metropolitan Museum of Art that was like an hour long the other Ooh. day and it was on um, the observant eye and they looked at this one quilt that they had in their collection and they zoomed in on these high def images and they talked about it through a museum educator and another um, the Barnes also has this Barnes takeout series which you might be interested in where they talk to you like for 15 minutes during your lunch break and they'll examine a piece in their collection so this really they did like a, a one a couple months ago about Van Gogh, one of the Van Gogh pieces they had in their collection. So it's ve very interesting and just very fulfilling too, just to feel like you could just pop that open and learn something on your lunch break or just if you have 15 minutes to spare. Absolutely. I have to get on that. I've been, you know, trying to do all these like different little things um, during COVID to be like, yes, I did a puzzle. Like oh, I read books. I did this, but like, I have not done the virtual, uh, tour of a museum. So that will have to be at some point this week. That'd be so, so fun to do. Um, I know you are quite the world traveler, uh, and you, I'm sure on your trips to Ireland and Italy, you have seen some amazing art. Um, so which pieces were your favorite getting to actually see in person? So I unfortunately didn't see as many images that I wanted to in Ireland. Like mm. ap looking back retrospectively, like now I have a whole laundry list of items that I want to see. <laughs> but in Italy, for me, one of the, mainly the ones that, that I would call uh, like my favorites are stuff that I've studied. So at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, they have this little triangular archangel that's from a Duccio panel. Mm. And it's from a giant altarpiece. And this is just a little section of it. And when I was in Siena, not this March, but last March, like over a year ago, um, I saw the larger panel of it. So it just was so surreal to me just to be able to say, okay, like here I am going to school in Philadelphia and I've seen like a tiny piece of this. <laughs> and now here I am in Siena seeing like what it should have been connected, well, what it should still be connected to. Yeah. And it, that was just so, I was, I was in awe. I was thrilled. And then I got a cup of gelato afterwards and I, I was just like <laughs> giddy for the rest of the day. But um, another piece, I guess that I would say is, because I, I accidentally, like, I, I feel that I go in knowing what I want to see when I get to these countries. And then it just my I have to do a whole redo with my plans. So we were in Rome. When I say we, I mean, my boyfriend and I, we were in Rome. And we stumbled upon the last day of this Monet exhibition that <gasps> was all is about like 60 or so of his pieces that he, Monet himself, had in his private collection at Gaverny. And they really didn't leave Gaverny. They don't really travel. And I just looked at Gabriel and I was like, we're going inside of this. <laughs> and it was so, it was so cool. They had like, they projected the water lilies on the floor. And then you just, these paintings, again, that I've seen in, in reproduction, never thought I would see in person. I'm just looking at them. There's like all these different angles of the water lilies. Mm. Uh, there was landscape scenes. It, it was so amazing. So amazing. That is 
Oh, I bet that was so cool to see. I love Monet. His work is untouchable. It is like, you can't compare. Um, no. I remember, yeah, it just, it's so important if you have the chance. It's like getting to actually see the painting or the, the sculpture in front of your own eyes. You know, like it is, it's cool to see online or like in a book, but it doesn't compare to the original. And I remember when I was in Florence, this was like four years ago or something, in my art history class, uh, we were learning about, um, oh yeah, we were learning about uh, Michelangelo's The David. And so I was studying in Gaming, Austria. And I decided like that weekend, I was like, I'm going to travel to Florence with my friends. Like, I'm going to see the David. Like, that is what I want to do. Um, and I remember we were, like, learning about it in class. Like, the David is, like, 17 feet tall. I'm pretty sure. I might have to look that up. Or maybe you have a better idea. But I think it's, like, the sculpture is, like, 17 it's, feet. It's, it's massive. Absolutely massive. And, like, I remember in class, like, I could not really – picture it. I was still having David as just kind of like a normal sized dude. I don't know why, but I'm like, yeah, like I, I think he's probably like maybe normal size. I don't know. And so then I went to see David and I'm like looking for this statue, which I just assume is more of like six feet or something. And then I like walk into this like room in the, the museum and here's just like this ginormous 17 foot David like by Michelangelo and he has like a whole room that's like dedicated to himself and you're like oh like that's David like in a book you can't show like how tall 17 feet is like and just seeing this massive you know statue you're like it's mind-blowing it is it's so cool and you just like to think of like where you're standing in relation to how the sculpture is is so like you're you're looking up at it you're looking up at it but if you like art historians have gone on ladders and they've actually like looked and taken really good hd images of it so you can see his eyes are all like squinted fixed on goliath that's he's approaching him because he's got the the weapon it's at the ready like in his hand like he's about to you know let it swing and it's just you just you really because I, I remember it, you have to go around it and you really do need that space to engage with the work because there's just so many different things that Michelangelo uh, put into the work that really speaks to the story of that it, it's trying to tell. Yeah and I love that you said you know you have to think of the story behind the image you know like sometimes when I just go into museums without really knowing anything about the paintings, you're just more like, wow, like this is impressive. You know, that artist is talented. Like I like that the person in the painting has a red cape, you know, like you just like are just kind of trying to go with what you know. But then when you come in with um, just knowing the background behind like what inspired the artist and the technique he used like it adds so much more and you appreciate it more and it's just it's all in like the behind the scenes work as much as just seeing the painting itself absolutely absolutely yeah um how would you say traveling the world and like actually getting to see these paintings and sculptures really influence your love for art history i think it actually just intensified it i mean um 
I went for 10 days after I graduated to Italy, 10 days after I graduated from undergrad. And that next March I was back and I was hungry for more. And I was just, you know, looking into, I, I really gained from going abroad. I really gained an appreciation for architecture too, which mm. yes, you cover that in your art history surveys, but really just like standing in the physical church and looking at the different elements of it, the way the floor plans laid out, the different images that are decorating the walls. It's one of those things that I, I do think you need to be there in person to just kind of just stand there. And I think for me, I studied frescoes and I actually just did that in a quarantine class. I'll call it that. I studied <laughs> frescoes and the model mm. church that they show for the frescoes is Giotto's uh, Assisi uh, chapel mm. and and all the different frescoes that are decorating the walls and I remember I had all these coins in my hand in that church and I was just like putting them into the the little audio machine I was listening to all like every single story until the guard tapped me and he's like you need to just go walk around the church like you've been here for too long because it's just so powerful to see all these little images from Francis's life and you just yes they're they're gorgeous to look at but when you really get the context of what they're portraying you just you, it's really just a testament to Francis's faith too and as a catholic woman like i just really appreciated them so much more also knowing the context as well yeah it's it's so cool um yeah and i think as a catholic too you can kind of maybe like appreciate it more knowing the stories um, and knowing, you know, the faith background in all of all of these images, there is such a connection, you know, to art um, and the faith, you know, and like God is a creator and, you know, he created us to be creators. So I think like there, there's a strong connection with that as well. Absolutely. Speaking of art, you recently started a beautiful website and blog called Mary's Musings. Um, I'd love for you to share more about it and you know, let art lovers know like what this, what they can find on your website. Yes. Thank you. So Mary's Musings essentially was something that I always wanted to do, but the quarantine finally gave me an excuse to do it because I took some WordPress classes and it essentially, it's a way for me to exhibit my interests on an accessible format and essentially what I intend to do once well, the museums are starting to reopen what I intend to do is I want to do exhibit reviews and I want to take photographs of these different art and historical objects that I come across and it's a way for me to share with my friends and family and also future employers <laughs> um, just things that I've come across my musings on different art historical and historical objects. Yeah, it, it's such a gorgeous website. Um, and you know, like a lot about the paintings that you reflect on. So how would you say like your background knowledge about these paintings influenced your own thoughts and ideas? I would say that I used to go into an exhibit blind, like I would just go in and now I, I, I can't do that anymore. I need to have something to chew on as I'm walking through the galleries. And one of the things I noticed was I, I looked into this Berthy Moore exhibit that was at the Barnes Foundation. And it was the first Berthy Moore exhibit in the US since 1987. So it's very rare to see like an exhibit solely dedicated to her. Usually you'll get like 
at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, they had an impressionist exhibit last summer and they had one of her, one, just one of her paintings in the entire impressionist exhibit. So it's very rare to see a, like a plethora of her stuff. And I'm just walking through this gallery and I just keep seeing this one young girl as the model. It's not like they don't specifically say the girl's name, but you can kind of gauge just through the facial features and the likeness that it's her. And essentially you walk through the beginning, her birth more so's or early work and you walk through and essentially you're just seeing this girl grow up before your eyes. And what really struck me is that it's Julie Minet, Berthy Morisot's daughter. Wow. And because essentially um, models cost money and Morisot was trying to secure a living and a profit too as a, as a female impressionist artist during the 1800s. So she essentially wanted to get a way that she could practice her craft but also not have to shell out money for a model yeah. as well too so it just was very powerful just to see these intimate moments exchanged between a mother and a daughter because the one painting that i cycled in on that actually was circled in on excuse me that was the last one was her just julie just playing a violin and she just looked so calm so at ease and you could tell it like it wasn't more so's first time just capturing her image and likeness. And for me, like I, I knew a little bit about her going in, but just after I actually saw her body of work in person, saw the way she captured Julie and, and just these intimate scenes. Like I felt like I was almost walking through a family photo album and it, it just was, it's so powerful. And that's why I, I, I don't do a lot of homework before I go in because I, I do it when I get out. I do, I research different paintings yeah. or paintings that like really caught my eye. I, I just, you get more of a, you get a better experience just going in with some understanding of what you're about to see. Absolutely. Um, and I know not only do you have a love for art, but you also have a love for margaritas, which Making a great margarita is an art, so we're still on the same topic. Um, <laughs> but before we get into these questions, I have to like tell the story because it's really funny. But Mary here has an, an Instagram account called Rate the Rita, um, and she takes these like glamour shots of margaritas and she rates them and tells you where to get a great margarita. But because the the account is just called Rate the Rita. I didn't know who it was. And like Mary's never pictured in the, the images. And so I love following different like food and like drink accounts on Instagram. I like sometimes have to like snooze my friends on Instagram. So I get more like images of food in my newsfeed. Um, but I remember like Instagram suggested to me like you should follow Rate the Rita. So I like click and I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I love margaritas. Like, I need to follow this person. So I have, like, no idea who Rate the Rita is, but I'm like, this is the coolest person in the world. Like, oh my gosh. And then I'm like, I wonder if I could reach out and, like, see if Rate the Rita will be on my podcast. This would be so fun. And then one day I was kind of, like, stalking the account, and I noticed that we have a lot of, like, mutual friends and, like, relatives like following this account I'm like wait how does she know or like how does like my cousins you know know this person like this is really <laughs> weird and then I noticed that Mary's siblings 
were also following Rate the Rita. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, could this be Mary Manfredi? And so like, I think it was like a month ago, I texted you and I'm like, are you Rate the Rita? And and you are. And that just yes. makes the account just way cooler now that I, I have an in with Rate the Rita. <laughs> Surprise. It's it very <laughs> exciting. I was like, this took me way too long to figure out, but I have been thoroughly enjoying this um this account. It, it is very relaxing. Uh just to look through. But um do you prefer the traditional margarita or do you like to be brave and try different flavors? So I'm guilty, and I think this will show on the account too. I, I'm guilty of ordering just a classic strawberry frozen with mm-hmm. sugar margarita. Like that's my go-to. I will admit in the summer, I've been relaxing that rule a little bit and I've been going into watermelon frozen or watermelon on the rocks. Um, I try to get something with a little bit of a sweetness to it. Like traditional is fine, but it, mm-hmm. I like to mix it up a little bit too. So, and I, and I rate my drinks on a scale of one to five limes. So and I, I try to be as accurate as possible with a, with my decimals. So just to give my root readers and my viewers the truest sense of what every sip feels like from that marg. So <laughs> exactly. Um, and then just to go back a little, like how did you come up with this idea for an account? Okay. So all of my friends that were in grad school at the time would always, you know, we we would go to some bars and they'd always have like a beer. Or, and this is my go-to grad school drink. And I am a big Miller Lite girl, and I'm just like, yeah, this, this doesn't scream grad school to me. This just screams like my family drinks this all the time, and this is why I like this beer. Right. So I, I just so we there's this really 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 good Mexican restaurant by Villanova that's mm-hmm. called Lombrada, and I I started going there to the point where I would know the bartenders and like my boyfriend and I we'd have this table we go to sometimes if I felt like divulging some of my grad students and my cohort into Rate the Rita, we'd go there and they just serve this massive, consistently good strawberry margarita. And it's just, I, from there, this, the account took off because I felt like I was a margarita connoisseur at this point because, you know, I, I, I've tasted greatness and now nothing else could live up to this expectation. So now I've made it my mission because I do intend to go back to Philly um, occasionally, but I'm rating them in Philadelphia, New, New Jersey, all of New Jersey's up for grabs and, uh, New York city as well too. So stay tuned, Ooh. but I, I have yet to find a good frozen margarita down at the shore. Like it's very hard. So if you come up with anything, please let me know uh, because I'm, I'm struggling. <laughs> maybe, maybe you need to start one. This is your true calling is you got to make the, the margarita. Yeah, well, I've actually, I've been, I've been experimenting with when I do get recipes. So I made one for Shark Week and I made like, I got these gummy sharks at Home Goods, and I put like a little Teddy Graham on an orange slice, like sunbathing with the shark at bay. So (laughs) it's, it's a work in progress for sure. There, it's funny how hard they are to make because like, they actually are tricky it's hard to make a margarita um and like you can try to get just like the bottle like the mixed stuff and like it's just like not as good it kind of tastes like fake you're like this is not an authentic margarita um but I remember like I tried to make one and I think I put like way too much tequila in it and then was like trying to like dilute it by putting in like more limes and it was just like 
it was a hot mess. Um, but that's like still something I would want to master is like the margarita. It is. Now, do you like sweet or are you fine with standard or what, what's I, your well, go-to? This is funny. I, I kind of like more of a kick and my favorite margarita, um, sadly the place closed down where I used to get it, but it was a jalapeno cucumber margarita. Oh, that, that sounds. That was my, it like, it sounds like awful and I don't like spicy things at all. I would like, I just can't handle it. But like this one was actually like really refreshing and, and like kind of had a kick. It was delicious. Um, Shout out to my friend Emily, who was like, you need to try this. Like, be brave. You will like this. And I did. And we would, like, my friends and I, yeah, there was this great, like, little Mexican place um, in in Harrisburg. It's called Taste Agave. Just, like, the best margaritas. They were so good. And their happy hour special was $4 margaritas. Um, And I think that's kind of the reason why they closed down was my friends and I would go and we would just be like, margarita time, like how many margaritas can we <laughs> in happy hour? And we would just like eat chips and salsa and drink lots of margaritas. Um, it was a good time. So I'm hoping. Can't, can't beat it. I know they're, they're delicious, but I do, I do once in a while love that, that sweet margarita. Um, any, yes. like, really any margarita. Like I'm, I'm not yeah. going to complain. Like if someone's like, do you want a margarita? I'm not going to be picky. Like, like, I would try, I would try that one. That one actually sounds delicious. The one, the one, the only ever margarita I've ever passed on in my entire 24 years of existence is an eggnog margarita. Oh gosh. Yeah. I I just, I couldn't bring myself to it. I said, you know, some things just aren't meant to be and I'm going to have to pass this one up. Rate the Rita couldn't even, you know, she hit the road and went somewhere else for that one. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm, I'm all for bravery and boldness, but you, you got to get to a point where you're like, no, we, we do not have to go down this path. <laughs> like <laughs> you got to yeah, play no. safe sometimes. Um, but you know, in your, in your opinion, where can you find the best margarita? In Pennsylvania? Because I've only, I've only been up by school, I would say, okay. uh, Lombrada. That, Quidova actually makes a good strawberry cue too. Oh. Um, fun fact. Uh, but in New Jersey, it would be at Jose Tejas in Fairfield and the consistently good standard frozen. I'm a big frozen gal. I don't mind on the rocks, but I prefer frozen. So those are that, those are my ratings. Um, they, they got 4.9s from me. I, I've <laughs> never, I've never had a frozen margarita. Like I've had wine slushies, what? which are really fun, but I've never had a frozen margarita. I always get on the rocks, but now like you you have convinced me. I'm like, I, I need to try the other guy. Oh, great. It's life-changing. You're welcome. Okay. So <laughs> I, I need to come visit you. And this, this online connection is not working anymore because I'm like, you can't just hand me a margarita over the screen. No, no. I, I maybe I'll have to do some practice and I'll try to make my own and then you could be my there taste you tester go. for that too. That, that would be lovely. Mary, this has been such a delightful time. It was so educational and refreshing. Um, I just learned so much and also got to talk about margaritas. Thank you for being on the show. This was such a treat. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Good. Um, I do have one more question. It is the most important question, but how can people find you? How can they find, you know, your writings, uh, your website, uh your 
your judging of margaritas? How can they find all that goodness? So for my Rate the Read account, we're only on Instagram as of right now. We are going to go worldwide one day, but it's at Rate the Rita. And you'll see it's my glass that I got at, fun fact, at the Disney Polynesian. They have a book, Tiki Sam's Grotto. So that's where Ooh. that's from. That's, nobody knows that. Very secretive about Rate the Rita. But anywho, uh, my, my professional uh, accounts are uh, Mary's Musings is marysmusings.art. And that's my website where I post my, my, basically my thoughts on museums and fine art. And then I'm also on Twitter too at Mary E. Manfredi, at Mary E. Manfredi. And I write about, uh, or I'll retweet stuff about museum exhibits or anything else that comes up in the news. I've been doing a lot of museum from home hashtags as well. That's awesome. So listeners, make sure you give Mary Manfredi a like, a share, all that good stuff you can do online um she's you know making the world a more beautiful place um with all of her musings on art so please make sure you give her a follow once again mary thank you for being on the show thank you thanks so much for listening i hope you enjoyed the show want to stay updated you can find me on instagram at gracie autumn 95 thanks again 